It's a beautiful day here in Florida. And we're going to continue our study in the book of John today that we've been studying for several weeks. General James Oglethorpe founded the British colony of Georgia in 1732 in America, and it later became what we know as the state of Georgia. As governor of the colony, he promoted the idea of having it open to some of the the more persecuted religions and the religious minorities of that day, uh, specifically like the Jews and the Lutherans of that day. Oglethorpe also founded the city of Savannah, Georgia, and shortly thereafter, in 1735, there was a young pastor named John Wesley that came there to be a rector at one of the first churches in town. And Wesley met Oglethorpe one day, and during the conversation that they had with the general, it's reported that General Oglethorpe said to, to John Wesley, I never forgive and I never forget. And Wesley replied, then, sir, I hope you never sin. And today we're going to look at something that sometimes is difficult for us to do, even as Christians, and that is forgiveness. And I want us to start by reading our scripture text. Before we read our scripture text today, I want to give a little bit of background to the, the events that were leading up to it. In John 21, verses 1 through 6, we see that Peter... John and five other disciples had fished all night on the Sea of Tiberias. Sea of Tiberias was also known as the Sea of Galilee. Let's read 1 through 6. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net in because of the large number of fish. Verse 7. Then the disciples, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. So we see that the disciples are in Galilee. Now, why are they in Galilee? Because they had been told to go there, and Jesus was going to meet them there. So here they are in Galilee, and early in the morning they're out fishing, and Jesus appears on the shore, but they don't, they don't recognize him, and he yells out, hey, y'all catch anything? Now, keep in mind, if you'd been out fishing all night, and some guy shows up on the shore and says, hey, you catch anything? You're probably going to answer like most fishermen, no, in a little bit of an aggravated way because you've been fishing all night and you haven't caught anything. And here's this guy just walks up out of the clear blue and asks if you're catching anything. You ever done that, Tony? Hey, catch anything? So Jesus, keep in mind that they did not know who he was, instructed them to throw their nets out one more time on the right side of the boat. Now, this is not 
the right versus the wrong side of the boat. This is the right versus the left side of the boat or the starboard side for those of you that are sailors and boaters, if I'm not mistaken, would be the right side of the boat. And I'm sure that as Jesus said, hey, I know you've been fishing all night. Just uh, throw your throw your net out one more time on the right side of the boat. And there was probably a tendency for them to say, we've been fishing all night and you're going to show up here and just tell us to throw the net out on the right side of the boat and we're going to catch fish. But you know what? They didn't do that. I think they wanted to catch fish badly enough that they went ahead and tried it. And the Bible says that they threw out the net and there were so many fish in the net that they couldn't pull the net into the boat. They actually had to drag the net behind the boat, kind of like, you remember the, the old movie, The Old Man in the Sea, where he's out in this little tiny boat and he catches this big marlin and he can't get it in the boat so he has to tie it to the side of the boat as he tries to make his way back in? Kind of that, picture that. So many fish, they can't get them in the boat. Here they'd fished all night and hadn't caught a thing, and now they've got so many they can't get them in the boat. So they dragged the net behind the boat back towards the shore. And verse 7 says that as they approached the shore, John, and he's referred to here, and he was also referred this way when he was at the foot of the cross, as the one Jesus loved. John looks up and he says to Peter, hey, look, it's Jesus. That's what he said. And as soon as Peter heard this, he wrapped his outer garment around himself and he jumped in the water and swam a hundred yards to the shore. A hundred yards. And I love the way this, the scripture says it here in verse 8. It says that the other disciples followed in the boat. Do you find that somewhat amusing? Peter wraps his cloak around him, jumps in the water, and he starts swimming for the shore, and the other disciples, they just decided to stay in the boat. And they towed the fish in, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. So Peter swam this hundred-yard dash to the shore to see Jesus, and I think I probably would have stayed in the boat too. But this really points to the, the type of personality that Peter had. He was very um, excitable. He reacted sometimes before, um, before his brain actually went into effect. He just started doing stuff. So when they get back to the shore, Peter climbs back in the boat and he helps him drag in the nets. And verse 9 says that Jesus is up on the shore and he has a fire going and he has fish cooking on the coals. And Jesus says, hey, why don't y'all bring some of the fish that you caught over? And again, this is the, I want you to see the personality of Peter. They've just caught so many fish that they can't haul them into the boat. And Jesus says, I'm fixing breakfast here. Y'all, why don't you bring over some of those fish? What does Peter do? Verse 11 says that he climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. He didn't just go get a couple fish. He went and got the whole net and tried to drag the whole net full of 153 large fish over to the fire. A little too excitable here. 
But that's Peter's personality. And I want us to really see the man that Peter was. And that brings us to the text that we have today. And I want us to read John chapter 21, verse 12. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. See, you thought I was making that up. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So how about some breakfast? I don't know that I've ever eaten fish for breakfast. Maybe so. But they'd been out all night and they had fished and hadn't caught anything. And they were probably tired. And I'm sure they would have eaten just about anything. And of course, Peter had been out fishing all night and had just swam this hundred mile or hundred yard dash to the shore. So I'm sure he was hungry. And as they approached Jesus, they did not ask who he was. And it's because they knew who he was. And possibly this is because this was actually the third time, his third appearance to them since his resurrection. Going back to John 21, let's read verses 13 through 17. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. When they had finished eating, Jesus asked Peter three questions. After each question and answer exchange, Jesus gave Peter a commission. First, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? And most likely, the these that Jesus is speaking of is, do you love me more than the rest of these guys? How much do you love me? All you say you love me, but do you love me the most? And that's probably a reminder of Peter's arrogant statement earlier before the crucifixion, before he denied Christ completely, he told Jesus that even if all the other disciples fail you, I will never, I will never leave you. I will never fail you. And I think Jesus is kind of reminding him here, you said you loved me more than all the rest of these guys. Do you, do you mean that? But as we know that in the end, Peter and his failure was probably one of the most glaring of all failures of followers of Jesus because he did it publicly, and not just once, but three times. At a very crucial time, here's one of Peter's or Jesus' best friends and his followers that not just says, I don't believe what he's teaching, he says, I don't even know the man. Right? Again, it looks at a little bit of Peter's personality here i think it's interesting to note that jesus did not inquire as to whether the world or israel or the rest of the disciples as a whole loved him he asked peter do you love me don't speak for anybody else i'm asking you peter do you love me 
And today I think that we must ask ourselves the same question. Do we really love Him? It doesn't matter how much your family loves Him. It doesn't matter how much your friends love Him. It doesn't matter how much your church loves Him. You cannot love by proxy. Well, my grandmother, was she was saved. Good for her. Then she was saved. My grandmother loved the Lord. Good for your grandmother. But she can't love the Lord for you. She can't get saved for you. There is no one else that can love or become saved in your place. And today I would ask each one that's here and each one that's listening to this through some other form of medium media, would we search our heart and honestly answer the question? And again, the question is not, do you love your pastor? The question is not, do you love the doctrine that your church teaches? The question is not, do you love the church that you attend? It's not, do you love your parents? It's not, do you love your wife and children? The question is a very simple one. And Jesus asked each of us today, do you love me? But I go to church every Sunday. That's not the question. But I never miss a service and I tithe. That's not the question either. What it all comes back down to is, do you love me? And I think that's what Jesus was trying to stress to Peter in this situation. You know, Peter, all the things that have happened, of all the events that have taken place over the last couple of weeks, let me ask you a question. Do you love me? And Peter says, well, sure I do. And he could have asked Peter many different things. He could have said, Peter, Simon, son of Jodah, have you made a profession of faith? And Peter could have answered, sure, I profess that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus could have said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you hold an important office in the church? And Peter could have said, absolutely, you ordain me as an apostle. And Christ might have said, Simon, son of Jonah, have you had any extraordinary supernatural experiences? And Peter could have said, well, absolutely. I walked on water. But that's not what Jesus said. It wasn't about the miracles. It wasn't about what he believed in his heart. It wasn't that if he really thought Jesus was who he said he was at this point, he just wanted to know one thing, and that's, do you love me? And there's so many churches today that have gotten away from the simple question of, do you love Jesus? And, and what it's turned into is this social dialogue on politics, on the state of the world. And yes, those things are sometimes important. But they're not the all-important question, and they're not the all-important thing of Christianity. The all-important theme of Christianity, Christianity is do you love Jesus? And when we get away from that, we've gotten away from the foundation of the church. Amen. We have seen so much in recent weeks of different clips of, of pastors that have said some of the most ridiculous things from the pulpit. And I just want to tell you, that's not from God. I don't care if you're a doctor. 
I don't care if you're a reverend. I don't care who you are. If you're saying things like that from the pulpit, they aren't biblical. And if they didn't come from God, there's only one place they came from. This is not the place for us to, to have this social discussion on who we're supposed to vote for in the presidential election. First of all, it's against the law. True. What is the important question? It's not who are you going to vote for in November. The important question I will pose to you today, it's the same question that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And he asked each of us that this morning. And it's not that these other things don't hold some amount of importance. Rather, it's this. Jesus asked this particular question because real love for Jesus Christ distinguishes false Christians from true Christians. You see, anybody can look like a Christian. Anybody can act like a Christian. Judas showed the outward signs that he was a friend of Jesus. He actually betrayed him with a kiss that you would, the custom of the day when you would meet a brother, you would hug their neck and give them a kiss. And that's how Judas actually betrayed Jesus. But did he love him? No. A hypocrite cannot and will not love Jesus Christ. So how important is that question, do you love Jesus? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 16.22. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. I think that answers that question. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. So I'll ask you this morning again, do you love Jesus? The central theme for Christians in Jesus' day and for Christians in our day is to have a love for Christ because without that, nothing else matters. We can come to church. We can, we can talk and teach and preach and sing. But if there's no love for Christ, it's worthless. We might as well gathered at the Elks Club and had a potluck dinner. Nothing wrong with potluck dinners. We're having one after church today. But that's not why we're here. This is not a secondary thing to the potluck dinner. This is the primary thing. The primary thing is that we decide today, do we love Jesus? And we decide today, will I worship Him? We decide today, will I live for Him and will I serve Him? You would think. As a side note, in light of the ridiculous things that have been said from pulpits recently that we've seen on TV, theology and Christianity does not have a color. Okay? So Jesus asked him, do you love me? And he says, of course. 
And then he asks for something from Peter. He doesn't just want him to say, yes, I do. He asks for evidence. He said, Peter, if you love me, then feed my sheep. Why would he do that? One reason is love is invisible. You can say you love somebody and not really love them, and they might not know the difference. But when you show it, there's no doubt. The fruits of love are very clearly seen when love itself cannot be seen. If we truly love the Lord, we will show it by what we do. Look at John 14 and 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. That's what Jesus said. I didn't write that part. He said, if you love me, then you'll do what I say. So how does he know that we love him? Because we say, I love you. No, no, that's not how he knows. He knows we love him if we keep his commandments. In our study today, we see that each of the three times that Jesus questioned Peter's love with him, for him, Peter answered, yes, Lord, of course I do. But that wasn't what Jesus wanted. He didn't just want a verbal answer. He wanted there to be some type of proof in Peter's life that, yes, I love you. He responded to Peter's answers with commands and commissions. The first was, feed my lambs. The second was, take care of my sheep. And the third was, feed my sheep. And the common theme in all three of these commissions was that Jesus placed Peter in the role of a shepherd. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, what was the primary role of a shepherd in that day? Leadership, provision, and protection. That's what the goal, that's the primary responsibilities of a shepherd. Leadership, provision, and protection. And he said, Peter, if you love me, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and spread the gospel in a way that it shows leadership, provision, and protection to those you're talking to. And there's a lot of people in today's religious organizations that have lost sight of that. Because there's a lot of people that are heading up churches that don't have a whole lot of leadership. And their provision comes from what they can take from everybody that they see. And they're sure not protecting the people of their flock. You knew I was going to throw that in there. If you haven't figured it out, I, I feel very strongly about that. I think the church is a place that people should come to be fed. The church is a place where people should come to get needs met, not a place where people should come and get fleeced and skinned. Jesus has now placed this tremendous responsibility on Peter. You say, well, he's, he was Peter. He was a disciple. He was also the same guy that publicly denied that he even knew Jesus three different times. But he still places this responsibility and says, this is what I want you to do. 
I want you to feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. And many self-righteous people would have looked at that and said, but Peter failed the Lord. He can't do that. Yes, he did. But to that I would say he also repented. And just as he publicly denied Jesus, here he is publicly confirming his love for Jesus and making a commitment to follow him completely. Back at the time before the crucifixion, Jesus is being tried and he's going through all of these things before his crucifixion and Peter's warming himself by the fire and he says, I don't know the man. Aren't you a follower of Jesus? No, I've never heard about this guy. I thought I saw you with him. And it says that Peter cursed and said, I don't know the man. And this is the same man that's sitting by the fire today with Jesus and says, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. And the third time Jesus asked, the Bible says that Peter got a little bit aggravated. He said, why do you keep asking me this? You know I love you. You know all things. And I believe without a doubt that by Jesus commissioning Peter and giving him these three commissions to go out and perform the ministry that he was called to perform was an affirmation that Peter was forgiven and that he was fully restored. At that point, the denial, it didn't matter. That was history. That was then, but something has happened in between. There was something that's happened, and that was that Jesus was crucified, He was buried in that tomb, and He rose from the dead. And being a witness of that, Peter was never the same after that. John 21, verses 18 through 22. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, being John, was following them. And this is the one that had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Again, this goes to the personality of Peter. What about him? This guy who's been following us, acting like he's not paying any attention, but hearing every word we say. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. I don't remember ever reading that exactly like I read it this past week. What is it to you if I keep him alive for the next thousand years? You, your job is to follow me. Verse 18 starts and Jesus says, I tell you the truth. 
Jesus explains to Peter that, you know, you're a young guy right now. You can do whatever you want to do and you kind of go where you want to go and do the things that you want to do. But there's going to come a time when others will dictate your actions. Not only just dictate your actions, they're going to pick the time and the place of your death. Well, that's a real happy thought. The term, you will stretch out your hands, was commonly understood in those days as a reference to crucifixion. The stretching out of your hands occurred when a person's hands were fastened to the horizontal beams of a cross for crucifixion. Jesus was telling Peter, you can go do what you want now and make your own decisions and wear whatever you want to wear and all that, but someday it's going to be different. And you're going to stretch out your hands. Huh? Want to do what? You're going to stretch out your hands, which in that day Peter knew what that meant. Jesus was saying, you're going to be crucified too. And the interesting thing is that by the time John actually wrote this gospel that we're reading here, this had already happened. John penned the gospel that we're reading from this morning in AD, somewhere between AD 85 and AD 90. And according to church historians, Peter was crucified during the time of the Roman emperor Nero, somewhere around AD 66 to 68. So Peter had been dead for quite a while. And what Jesus had said had already happened. And Peter wasn't alone in facing a martyr's death. If you look back through church history, you'll see that almost immediately after the day of Pentecost, Stephen was stoned to death. And we know that Saul, who later became Paul, was present at the stoning of Stephen. The most severe persecution came under the Roman emperors Nero and Domitian. Peter and Paul were both martyred under the rule of Nero. And it was probably under the rule of Domitian that John was exiled to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. The ultimate goal of Roman persecution was to force Christians to renounce their faith and to worship the emperor as a god. That was what the emperors wanted. Not only do I want you and require of you to renounce the faith that you have, I want you to worship me as a god. And while John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, he wrote the book of Revelation. And the interesting thing about that is, in this time of persecution for him, in the book of Revelation, what he really did was tell the ultimate goal of the church's history, and that was the victory of the return of Christ. Whatever you're experiencing here, this is not the end. In the end, there is a victory. And regardless of the circumstances of his life or the manner of his death, the central issue for Peter, the rest of the disciples, and even for us today, is to do what Jesus said to Peter. It's to follow him. If you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. And I'm telling you, Peter, follow me. Jesus commanded obedience above all else. Again, back to that scripture in John 14 and 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And two things that Jesus has spoken to Peter, he speaks to us today, and that is, do you love me? And if you say you do, then follow me. And so as they're walking along and talking and Jesus is breaking the news to Peter, he makes it clear to Peter about John's future. In light of what Peter is going to face, he sees John kind of sneaking around behind him and following him and listening in. And he goes, well, what about him? You're telling me I'm going to be crucified. What about him? Don't worry about him. It's none of your business. If I keep him alive for the next 3,000 years, it's just none of your business, Peter. This is your life. This is what I'm telling you. You follow me. You say you love me, and I've told you what you need to do, and now I'm saying follow me. Now, in light of all of these events that Jesus has just told Peter that you're going to die from crucifixion, do you have a little bit different look at Peter's life and what he accomplished? For some of us, if we knew that the end was going to be this horrible crucifixion, well, then I'm not doing that. But yet, this is the same guy that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached this incredible message. Jesus then, after he tells Peter that it's none of his business what happens to John, he repeats the commandment. And says, you must follow me. First it was a simple follow me. And this was just in case Peter didn't understand. He says, you must follow me. In spite of Peter's failings. In spite of Peter's often erratic and sometimes even bizarre behavior. In spite of Peter publicly denying Jesus, denying that he even knew who he was three times, Jesus forgave him. And he didn't just forgive him. He said, now, I've set up these things that I need you to do. There's too many people in today's society, in, as far as Christians go, that feel like, well, I've been saved, and I've been forgiven, so now all I have to do is sit back and wait for Christ to return, or until I die. And Jesus gives us the same direction, I believe, as he gave Peter, is that now that I've forgiven you, then this is what I expect of you. I didn't go over very big. It's still true. I have forgiven you and I have saved you. And as I've often said, nobody has ever been saved to be a sitter. 
We have all been called to a ministry. We have all been called to do something. When Jesus said, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, He didn't mean literally go feed the sheep. He was telling Peter that you need to go do whatever there is placed in front of you to do for the kingdom of God. Now it's your responsibility. And that responsibility has been passed off to us. And Peter, Jesus didn't just forgive Peter, but he gave him this calling to do some pretty incredible things. Look at the responsibility that Peter had in establishing the early church. He was the man. He became a tremendous public speaker. Keep in mind, he was not a trained professional speaker like Paul. Peter was a fisherman. Probably didn't have the greatest oratory skills of anybody that was following Jesus, but yet he became this tremendous speaker without fear, could stand up before a group of thousands and preach. He was called to become a person that would follow Jesus all the way to his own death. And it does not end there, and it does not end with Peter. Certainly, Peter's story is real. The things that we read about in the Bible that Peter accomplished and the things that happened to Peter, those are real. But it's more than that. It's personal. Why? Because Peter represents me. Peter represents you. And that's what makes his story so personal because each one of us, are we have the same calling as Peter. We're asked, do you love me? And if we say yes then what are you going to do about it? Think back for a moment on Peter's life story. Here's some of the events and some things that are important in Peter's life. First, there was a calling. Peter was a fisherman. Very simple life. You get up in the morning, you get your boat and your nets and your guys and you push the boat off the shore. You go try to catch what you can catch. You come back and you sell your fish. Simple life. But when Jesus called him and said, put down your nets and follow me, Peter said, okay, I'll do that. And he did. Peter was a person who was willing to take risk. Remember on that boat and Jesus said, Peter, I'm out here on the water. Come to me. And Peter says, uh, okay. Forgetting that people don't really walk on water. And he stepped off the boat. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to walk on the water. He was willing to take risks. He was a person with a mouth that often said the wrong things. 
Peter blabbed out the words, Lord, I'll never forsake you. I don't care what the rest of these guys do. I will never forsake you. And yet he was the one that publicly did it. Peter was a person that did some pretty dumb things. In the garden, when the soldiers came to take Jesus away, here was this entire regiment of soldiers, possibly hundreds of soldiers, and and the Bible said that the disciples and followers of Jesus had two swords, and Peter picks one of them up and makes a swing and cuts off a guy's ear. That wasn't real smart. Peter was a a person that denied one of his best friends. I don't know Jesus. Not once, three times. And Peter was a person that sometimes had, he seemed like he had very little faith or that he was just riddled with ADD. Remember when Jesus appeared to Mary after the resurrection? He told her, go tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. And that's where we find them today, is in Galilee to meet Jesus. But what happens? They're all sitting around. Peter gets bored. Oh, when's he going to get here? And I can just see him, because you know he was that kind of guy that just... Can't stand still. He gets bored or he starts just believing that Jesus isn't going to show up and he goes, you know what, I'm going fishing. That's what he said. I don't know about you guys, I I can't just stand here, I'm going fishing. So why are all these things important? Because Peter's story is our story. Each of us have done and said and acted out in some really dumb ways. And we've all made mistakes. But that's not the end of the story. The end of this story is a story of grace and of love, of renewal, of forgiveness, and of restoration. And that story is ours too. In spite of all of Peter's shortcomings, and yes, there were a lot. In spite of all his shortcomings, Jesus at this point reaches out to this this wounded, hurt friend. Keep in mind that the last two weeks have probably been pretty hard on Peter too. We sometimes forget about that. We forget that that Peter has gone through a lot too. He's seen his best friend taken away. He's seen his best friend crucified. And during that time, he's made probably the biggest blunder of his life. And now he sits here next to this fire, and he faces the man that he offended. The one he denied. The one he rejected. See, Peter was unable to go to Jesus. Jesus had to come to him. And we are no different. 
The Bible says in Romans 3 and 23 that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. The key word there is all. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And just as Jesus came to Peter to heal him, to restore him and to renew him, to forgive him, he is here today to do the same thing in your life. To heal, to restore, to renew, and forgive. And once Peter was restored, Jesus recommissioned him to return to the calling that had been placed on his life. And I say to anyone that's here this morning, or anyone that's hearing this message any other way, maybe you've made a start. Maybe you've slipped. Maybe you've even fallen. Jesus wants to forgive you. He wants to restore you. He wants you to find your place and your calling in the kingdom just as He did with Peter. If you've never made a start to live for God, then today He is calling you to repentance and to restoration of why He created you to start with. He is calling you to live for Him and to find your place in the calling that He has for each of us in the kingdom. And so I say to each of us this morning and each of you this morning, we have probably all fallen short of our calling at some point, just as Jesus did. But the question is this. How will you respond to the tug of the Spirit on your heart as it calls to you today? As we sit in this place, or as you hear this message today, wherever you are, I believe that the Spirit is tugging on your heart. And it is calling you, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ, it's calling you to a higher place. What is that call of the Spirit? It's a call of love. It's a call of grace. It's a call to be healed. It's a call to repentance. It's a call to forgiveness a call of renewal, and a call of restoration. God bless you.